Hey there, everybody out in the listener land. It's Jake Wiskirchen, and you're back on the Noggin Notes podcast. For those of you tuning in expecting to hear the third part of our Rural Mental Health Overview series, I humbly ask your forgiveness for letting me slide this one in. We were presented with an opportunity to partner with a really cool organization, and I'm sure you'll understand why we could not say no when you hear about what it is. So this one is episode number 41, and I'm happy you tuned in for this one. It's called Humans Rescuing Pets pets rescuing humans and what it's about is me interviewing two gals in Cambodia who operate in tandem with one another one is the founder of an animal rescue shelter and the other is the founder of a veterinary clinic and you're going to find that this conversation is amazing Uh, Dr. Lauren Marsden of the veterinary clinic has assisted uh, this uh, Tina Meyer with the shelter and I'm not going to spoil anything, but the sacrifices that these two have made in Cambodia, helping rescue strays off the street, uh, little cats and dogs of all sorts, uh, are really remarkable. And I want you to hear the story, and hopefully you'll be moved to donate, because there's not a lot of resource to help rescue pets in Cambodia. I think we, uh, in America, think of pet rescue is something that the government does, and, and it does, but um, we just don't understand how overwhelming the task is in a, in a foreign country where pet ownership in and of itself is such a different worldview altogether, and they go into that and they explain it. We did have a little bit of internet difficulty during the recording, so there are a few spots where uh, we turned into robots and we sound a little alien, but uh, bear with it, it's only a couple seconds at a time, only a few times it happens, so... I'm uh, I'm proud to have done this podcast from halfway across the globe in um, and, and in a completely different day of the week than my guests, and I really really enjoyed doing it. I think everybody's going to get a big kick out of it. I think it's educational, and I hope you grasp the concept that we don't just end up rescuing pets when we take them off the street and take them into our homes. They often end up rescuing us too, which is why Noggin Notes partnered with uh, Animal Rescue Cambodia to do this uh, promotion because psychologically there's there's very few things better than a pet when it comes to mental health and stability so for the month of may whenever you bring your pet in for a checkup at vsl veterinary clinic and make a donation of any amount pet owners can receive a doggy water bottle while supplies last and these doggy water bottles are amazing they have a a squeeze bottle on the bottom and a little bowl on the top that fills through a one-way valve and it's got the noggin notes logo on it except the noggin notes logo has been reworked to include some really cool little pet faces and a, and a paw print on it. If you want to check it out and you're not in Cambodia or you are in Cambodia and you want a sneak preview, go to the Instagram account for Noggin Notes and scroll through and find the, the reworked logo that Safiso did. It's, it's really cute. Check that out, and you can also donate directly through ar-cambodia.com, which is the animal rescue website, and they have a donate tab. Anyway, that's enough of the introduction. This is episode number 41, Humans Rescuing Pets, Pets Rescuing Humans. Enjoy. Okay, well, this is a special treat. We're uh, on the Noggin Notes podcast, and we're doing this across time zones, even across the international dateline, I believe, depending on which direction you, you travel. And uh, so it's it's currently 5.30 in the Pacific time zone in the United States, and it's uh, 7.30 a.m., uh, so yeah, 5.30 p.m. my time, 7.30 a.m. your time. And we've got uh, a couple of really cool gals on right now. Uh, Tina Meyer, am I pronouncing your last name right? Is it Meyer? 
Yes, Maya, that's right. Nice. Um, so Tina, or Martina, is your full name. Tina is the founder of Animal Rescue Cambodia, and you uh, take stray dogs and cats off the street, and that's awesome, and we're going to get into that in a minute. And then we also have Lauren Marsden, who, uh, Dr. Lauren Marsden, who is a veterinarian from uh, VSL Veterinary Clinic, which is uh, in Cambodia also, and you partnered with Tina to help these animals get off the street. And I'm going to pause and shut up for just a second because uh, our audience is used to hearing my voice. So I'd like to hear from you two uh, about what it is that you do and why we're doing this partnership with Noggin Notes and so on and so forth. So let me kick it to Tina because you're the one who, who runs the shelter. Um, tell us about what, what you do and why we're here and talking about this. Um, yes, so uh, I started Animal Rescue Cambodia or ARC two years ago um, because there was hardly anyone helping uh, Cambodian street animals and I felt a strong need um, to help the cats and dogs. So we mostly focus on spaying and neutering and outreach programs. So we educate people, we tell them about different diseases, uh, but we also try to neuter as many animals as possible in order to uh, get the overpopulation under control. So help me out here. Paint the picture for me. You're originally from Germany too, right? Yes. How did you end up in Cambodia? Um, I haven't lived in Germany for 11 years. Uh, I lived in a couple of different places before, and I ended up in Cambodia because um, I found a job for a political organization. Um, I'm from the political development field uh, initially, hmm. And okay. yeah, like I was working in that organization for two years, but realized quite quickly that someone has to help the animals. So I quit my job and I started helping. <laughs> That's really noble. And from what I gather from my partner, Safiso Rapinga, who is the uh, brainchild behind the Noggin Notes uh, app and podcast, he's down there in Cambodia. And he tells me that you live in the shelter. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> So you're, you're literally yeah. around animals, like, all day, every day. Yes, yeah. You... We usually have up to 45 animals there. Um, it can be noisy. It can be a bit dirty sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> it's for the animals. Now, uh, so have you grown feathers or fur in places that you didn't have fur? <laughs> you haven't become an animal yet, I'm guessing. Not yet, but I definitely treat the animals more like humans. I do talk to them. A lot. <laughs> well, you have to. You have to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you, now, do you also study in Japan, is that correct? Yes, yeah. I did do my you, master, my undergraduate in Japan. Do you speak Japanese? I used to be very fluent, yes, but that was six years ago, and I haven't really practiced much. I still understand a lot, but I don't speak very well anymore. How many languages do you speak? Um... Fluently English and German, but yeah, like I used to be fluent in Japanese and I learned Khmer, which is the local language in Cambodia. So what do you talk to the animals in? How, what, what language are they learning? <laughs> Usually either English or German. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so tell me about the, this overpopulation problem. The, the way that I've got it pictured in my head is that, you, you know, just any uh, random day you could be walking down the streets of uh, Nam Phen and, you know, like trip over a, a domesticated animal but is it that bad or am i misinterpreting it it is very bad but i do have to say that you actually don't find many real street dogs in cambodia because we have a very big issue with the dog meat trade 
So most of the dogs that stray in, oh, on the streets yeah. get picked okay. up eventually by these meat traders. Um, we have a lot of street cats and also a lot of animals end up in um, Buddhist temples, which are called pagodas, because people don't mm -hmm. want them, so they just dump them at these uh, pagodas. And usually these are the places we work with, because depending on the size of the pagoda, they have anything between 50 to 100 animals in just one temple. And they're caring for them at the pagodas or no? They just Sorry. wander in and out? Do, do they care for them at the pagodas, or are they wandering, the animals just wander in and out? Are they it feeding really them and depends on, Sorry, it really depends on the pagoda. Some of them are really caring, and they really try to help. There is one pagoda, the head monk even gets the rabies shots for them. Um, but there are oh, also wow. pagodas that don't care at all. They don't feed, they just leave the animals. Um, and yeah, there is not enough food, and definitely not enough medical care. Right. So speaking of medical care, nice segue. I didn't plant that. I'm glad you did. But I want to kick it back over to <laughs> Dr. Marsden. Um, talk, tell, tell us a little bit about what your role is, how you, because you're originally from the UK, if I'm uh, getting my information accurately. And right. how did you end up in Cambodia? And what are you doing there? Um, so I only ended up in Cambodia. I met my partner here and then I moved to Cambodia. Um, and originally I actually also started volunteering with animal welfare organisations. This is before Tina was in existence. Um, but for the first couple of years I was here, I was purely volunteering. And then after a while I sort of realised um, that, that Cambodia really could do with, with more private uh, animal care as well. It's, sort of, it's even a very new concept here. Even pet ownership is... A, fairly new concept in the way that we what? recognize it in the West. Even even what did you say? Pet ownership? Pet ownership, yes. Okay. So what, what's it been in the past and what is it coming to be now in the, in the, as the West recognizes? And I love that we have a guest in the background barking his head off or her head off. I'm not sure which. But th this is the nature of, you know, live, well, it's not live. It's recorded. But uh, we're, we're doing this because we're, uh, you know, half a world apart. And we're just going to roll with the dog. Um, but what, is, uh, what does it mean to be a pet owner and what did it used to be? I'm fascinated by that. So I think it, it used to be more so that, um, you know, and still is very much in rural areas, that people will have dogs purely for protection. Ah, okay. And there will be, you know, your normal Cambodian mixed breed dog and live 100% of the time outside. But as, as there's a lot of economic development and a growing middle class in Cambodia... And, and more, more of an influence of Western culture, people are sort of seeing icons having, having little, cute, fluffy inside dogs and sort of realizing, you know, oh, actually a dog can be this kind of a pet as well. Right, not just simply for utility, but also as a member of the family, like yes, we've come to know yeah, them in the exactly. West. Yeah, exactly. More and more people are considering them as a member of the family. In the rural areas that you discuss, what kind of protection does a dog bring? Are there are there farmers that they need to they need the dogs to keep uh, predators away from their um, own animals? Is that kind of thing? I don't know if there's not predators in terms of like wolves. There's no wolves or anything like that. But I think mainly um, having a dog on the property sort of alerts them to the presence of strangers coming onto their property and also keeps away other dogs because they tend to be very okay. territorial. 
And, uh, of course, rabies is still a big issue in Cambodia, so you'd rather not have strange dogs wandering onto your property and biting your children, I imagine. Yeah, I would imagine also. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, am I to wish you a happy birthday? Oh, you've just missed it by seven oh. and a half hours, but it was, oh. yes, it was yesterday. I got to get on Safiso to correct the timing of his emails. He says it's her birthday today, but uh, that was obviously sent yesterday. So, <laughs> yesterday, your time, uh, today, my time. I'm not even sure what day it is anymore. But, uh, <laughs> and you just got engaged last week, did you not? That is also true. Yes, I did. It was, in fact, Congratulations. In Japan. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. So, you just recently also had a vacation, too. Yes. <laughs> I would like one of those one of these days. I, I don't know when it's coming. <laughs> I'm still in my 30s for another couple of months, so maybe on my uh, my 40th birthday, we'll I'll take a vacation. But um, so, what's your role with with the animal rescue, and how does that tie in with your own clinic? You you are the founder and owner of your own clinic, are you not? Whoop! Internet, come on, Cambodian oh, internet. Oh, sorry. Could you say that again? You broke up yeah. a lot during that. Love the Cambodian internet down there. Uh, Sofiso <laughs> complains about it all the time. No, uh, you, so you founded and own your own veterinary clinic. Help us understand how you work with Animal Rescue in that capacity. Um, so before Animal Rescue Cambodia had their own vet, which they do now, but it used to be that we were doing anything um, that required surgery for them and also all of their neutering. That's wonderful. Um, and did you do that for free? No, we didn't do it for free, but we did it at cost price. That's great. Wow. Uh, that's so, I mean, that really heartens me to hear. Um, it's, it's neat because uh, up here I, I own uh, and I co-own and operate a, a mental health outpatient agency. And we, we like to tell people that we're a for-profit but operate a, like a non-profit so people can see us, you know, regardless of ability to pay and uh, insurance coverage because we use graduate practicum students. And, you know, we, we do give a lot away. And it's nice to hear that reciprocated, which is probably why Safiso, with his heart of gold, uh, decided that, you know, this would be a good pairing because there is some psychological underpinnings to pet ownership. And the, the, as much as the animal gives you, um, or I'm sorry, as much as we give the animal in terms of a home, they give us so much more back in terms of peace of mind and quality of life and just overall joy. And, and I'm sure that you, you both have seen this in the way that you have interacted with the people who are adopting these these stray animals and taking them into their homes. But um, Tina, I'm I'm curious to know what you what kind of culture shift that you've seen since you've been doing animal rescue in and around the the, the town where you are. Um, there is definitely a shift, especially with the younger people. I feel like um, the older generations they still consider these animals as you know. Maybe community animals, you put some food out there, but they don't really belong to anyone. Um, whereas I feel like a lot of younger Cambodians really are interested in animal welfare and they try to educate themselves, they try to get vaccinations for their animals. And um, at the pagodas in general, we also see a shift with the idea um, about spaying and neutering, for example, because the older monks, um, they usually don't agree to it. They say it's unnatural, um, we shouldn't intervene, um, it's cruel to spay or neuter an animal. 
But if you talk to younger monks, it's actually very interesting that they counter these arguments by saying, we created an unnatural habitat for them. Now mm -hmm. they have to live in a, in a huge city, not enough food. Uh, there are no natural predators. So like, how can we right. uh, have this, this argument about being natural if we actually took the nature away from them? So there yeah, there's no population of, um, control. Yes, exactly. And there are a lot of these um, younger monks and middle-aged monks, actually, that support the idea of spaying and neutering. And these are the ones we work with, because these are the ones that also can easily um, change the minds of other people. Not the foreigners that come in and say, oh, you're doing everything wrong, you have to do it our way. It's actually these Buddhist monks that start spreading the idea that spaying and neutering can be a good thing. So there's a responsibility shift, it sounds like, that's happened where uh, it used to be, hey, it is what it is, let nature take its course, and now it's more, we, we have a responsibility as humans to care for these, these animals and make sure that they're not living in misery. Yes, exactly. I f some pagodas are not like that, but I feel like the ones we have been working with for a while, they definitely shift. They are more responsible when it comes to feeding. They do ask um, what kind of food to feed. They call us when there is a sick animal, which is not, um, it wasn't like this in the beginning. We told them, you can call us anytime you have an injured animal, but nobody called. And when we go to the pagodas and we find an injured animal, we ask them, why didn't you call us? And they were like, oh, you know, hmm, doesn't matter. But now a lot of them actually do call when they find one. Um, which is, it sounds like a small thing, but it's actually a huge behavior shift. So they're seeing value in responsible stewardship of caring for animals is what it sounds like. And I'm going to kick back to Lauren and ask, uh, are you seeing this in, in the way that pets are cared for when, say, pet owners or non-pet owners, maybe, I don't know if this occurs, but if somebody finds a pet on the street that's uh, broken or injured, do they come in with the same type of heart and compassion that, that I know in, in America where, you know, these, these, these people, these, these, I say there's people, um, <laughs> these pets are part of our families? Or is it still this kind of like, hey, I'm just going to care for this thing so it doesn't die on my sidewalk? Uh, like, what are you seeing? In terms of people bringing in street animals, do you mean? Yeah, street animals, their own animals. What's what's the attitude that you see? Do do people spend thousands of dollars making their animals healthy like we do in America, or is it still just kind of basic caretaking to you know get them by so they don't they don't just die and you know become a, a problem? Oh, I think most families that I'm seeing definitely care and are more you know more concerned than just having the dog survive, and certainly will will spend thousands of dollars if the animal is very sick but mm. the sort of the general feeling I get um, when it comes to pets is that there's not so much awareness about prevention so people people will spend you know hundreds and hundreds of dollars saving their puppy from parvovirus for example or okay. tick fever or something like that or um, you know things things that are easily preventable with vaccines or with tick preventatives but I, there's not there's not sort of this general awareness that those things even exist for animals. I have I have lots of clients who, you know, you ask, is their dog vaccinated? And they don't even know. They didn't know there was vaccines for dogs. 
Ah, I see. Okay, so yeah, just general lack of knowledge then. That that really provides some perspective because I think a large portion of at least our listening audience up here in Reno where where I am is going to hear this and go, what? This is mind-blowing. How could people not know about <laughs> vaccinations for their pets? Um, but, you know, different cultures and so forth. And it makes us, at least at least make me very uh, conscientious of how fortunate we are to have the the facilities and the and the resources that we have to care for our pets and and also that not the overpopulation problem because nobody wants to i mean nobody wants to walk down the street and see you know sickly animals that's just that's just not good for the soul um tina how do you fund your operation um it's mostly donations um we occasionally get grants but you know like a small scale grant so a couple of thousand dollars maybe uh, maximum. Um, a lot of it is individual donations, so um, people that see what we do in Cambodia or people that hear about us um, that give um, their own individual contributions. I would say most people don't give more than $20. Um, so, yeah, like it's, it's basically like try, we are trying to establish good relationships with the donors to get people uh, to donate on a regular basis. Um, we do have also quite a few younger Cambodians that donate. They are students, but they like the cause. So, you know, maybe they donate $2, maybe $5, okay. which is a lot for them. But they are interested in, in supporting um, yes, it's mostly individual donations. So anyone that wants to contribute, feel free to do so, uh, because yeah. we work on a very small budget. I was going to ask you how you pay yourself or how you pay your bills. I know you live in the shelter, but the shelter certainly has overhead. It's got electricity. It's got running water, I'm sure. And, you know, you have to eat, and I'm sure you're not eating donated cat food. So <laughs> how, do you, how do you live? <laughs> Yeah, so obviously I, I personally don't pay rent because I live in the, in the center. I don't want the animals to be um, alone all night. Um, but yeah, um, our, depending on the month, depending on the projects we have, we usually need anything between $6,000 to $9,000 a month um, for rent, for staff costs, for veterinary costs, uh, for food. Um, yeah, um, it's a lot of money here for us, and obviously we try to do as much as possible with it. And I think a lot can be done, because especially at the Pagoda, not all the sick animals come to us. We teach the people at the Pagoda how to do basic medical care, and then we give them the medication, we show them what they have to do, and then they can treat their animals right at the Pagodas. Um, wow. And then we don't have to take them all in. That definitely helps with the costs. Um, and it also creates knowledge and um, a sense of responsibility, I believe. I, I'm sure this is going to bore the crap out of our listeners. But in the West, where everything, especially in America, where everything is uh, over, heavily overseen by the government and you can't practice certain things without certification from a government body, you know, I have to have a license to practice psychotherapy. How does this work with allowing these monks to administer medication to pets without, say, a veterinary license? And maybe Lauren could answer that. I don't even know if they have licenses there, but I'm <laughs> guessing they do. They, in fact, don't. I'm going to go practice psychotherapy there. <laughs> I can't speak for human medicine, but um, that was one of the things that I 
desperately looked into extensively when I was setting up the veterinary practice. Obviously, I want you know I tried and I went to the ministry. The Ministry of Agriculture um, has a Department of Animal Health and Welfare, so I sort of assumed that I would have to register either myself as a veterinarian or at least the clinic as a veterinary clinic. Um, but they said there was nothing, and they kept sort of uh, they kept directing me to the Ministry of Health. Because I suppose veterinarian hmm. sort of falls under the yeah. health ministry, but no, the health ministry kicked me back to the Ministry of Agriculture. The Ministry of Agriculture kicked me back to the health ministry. And in conclusion, there is no. And I, I mean, I've spoken to other, um, I've spoken to other veterinarians in Cambodia, and there is no. You don't have to have a license to practice. That is fascinating. And well, that's a good. Scary. On- yeah, oh, sh- <laughs> tell me about it. Yeah, sure it is. Uh, I, I actually sit as the president of my licensing board here in the state of Nevada, so I'm, I'm hearing that and I'm like, eh, cringing. But, uh, but, but kudos to you for working around it, though. Yes, I mean, I would have, yes, working around it or rather against it, that I would have, would have. It's well, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure are, ethics are, professional ethics are still in place. You're still treating animals and humans appropriately. And, but I mean, the, the way that you've been able to, you know, you see a need and you don't sit there and wait for permission. You, you just go, well, I guess nobody's guiding us. So I'll guide this and we'll just believe that we're doing the right thing. I mean, that's, yes. that's kind of honorable. Yeah, and well, Tina, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm still, oh, go ahead, course, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, of course, I'm still licensed by the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons from the UK, so I have to renew my license mm-hmm. from them on a yearly basis. Um, yeah, there's, yeah. There's nothing that recognizes me as a veterinarian in Cambodia. So I wanted to give a plug for the the shelter because I want to be mindful of our time, and and you guys have a, a you know a, a full day ahead of you. Um, but on the donate page, if you go to uh, www i have to say that in case people in america don't know that the w's exist across <laughs> the world but it's www.ar-cambodia.com that's ar for animal rescue so it's ar-cambodia.com and then on the donate page um it's a really nice website by the way thank you but on the donate page the the uh that's where you can send your money please send your money they need it so if you're listening and you have a free 20 or 50 bucks to spare uh, i don't think they will care whether it's u.s dollars or any other dollars just send it um, but on the top, it's, I love, 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 absolutely love this quote, Tina. I used to say, somebody should do something about that. Then I realized I am somebody. Yeah. And that <laughs> so much resonates with me. It, it, I, think, I think we sit in a world of complacency these days where people just look around and wait for somebody else to act. And, and we forget that we are the people who need to be doing the acting. Speak more to that, because that's really inspiring. Um, yeah, um, it's actually like, it's a quote I've uh, uh, heard before, so it's not my personal quote, but I, it's exactly well, how, it should be. <laughs> it's ex, it's exactly how how I felt in Cambodia because you constantly find sick kittens on the street. You see dogs that got hit by cars with terrible uh, terrible injuries. And I just felt all the time, like, why is nobody doing anything? Like, I was really frustrated. Yeah. Why is nobody starting something? Why, are no, why is nobody helping? And at some point, just like the quote said, except at some point I realized, well, if nobody's doing anything, then I will have to. And that's how it all got started. And, yeah, it's exactly how I still feel. 
I love it. That's so great. It's I, I think there's a lot of people here, you know, with our within our listening audience who may be inspired to do something. And certainly we hope you're inspired to go donate because they can use your help. You hear Tina's, you know, sleeping with animals inside the shelter. I mean, hey, let's get her out. No, not that she would. She'd probably kill, still stay there. But um, you know, they, these things aren't free, and and medical costs for stray animals are uh, n- not losing value they're they're increasing in cost and so um i invite anybody who's listening who has any sort of loyalty to uh this program or the animals themselves or or me i'll just throw me out there if you've got any loyalty to me um reach in your pocket and kick down you know uh, some money to to help them because they they could use it so ar-cambodia.com and then um wrapping up uh lauren you you're uh because I know we have some listenership uh, down there in the uh, Southeast Asia, I guess, is where you guys are. Um, VSLveterinary.com is your clinic's web address. And talk a little bit in closing about your programs, your services, what you do, how many staff you have, and um, what your overall goals are. Oh, so at the moment, um, in terms of, well, we're obviously run as a, as a private veterinary clinic, so most of the day we're seeing consultations, um, we provide all routine services, so vaccinations, um, neutering, desexing for private individuals as well, um, we can also do ultrasound, we just got a new ultrasound machine, uh, and we do emergency surgeries as well. In terms of staff numbers at the moment, uh, myself, I'm the only full-time veterinarian and I have one other part-time veterinarian uh, who is also German, like Tina. Her name is Dr. Larissa Hoffman. Um, And then in terms of Cambodian staff, I have two veterinary assistants, uh, Panna and Makara, who are graduates actually of the Bachelor of Veterinary Medicine course in Cambodia from the Royal University of Agriculture. They do have a veterinary course here. Um, so you're a training facility too then? You're yeah, helping mentor way, these I young s- students. Yes, in a way I suppose, yes. I think I think when they come, they don't get a lot of practical teaching during their course. So when they come here, it's very much starting from square one in terms of practical practical skills, you know, even even the most basic things like giving an injection. That's awesome. I'm happy for you. That's that's really great. That's that's definitely a need is, you know, getting people out and, you know, working with their hands and actually seeing stuff live, you know. So good good on you for doing that. That's great. Well, um I appreciate this opportunity. It's I've I think the uh, two or three times I've spoken to Safiso over uh Slack is like the only time I've really ever communicated across the world. And uh this has been an absolute joy for me uh to get out of uh, Reno, Nevada, where you know I was born and raised, and I've only you know moved around America basically uh, to to speak literally halfway around the world, and uh, on such an important topic. I love I love rescuing animals. I think here we have this uh, culture where it's like I got to rescue animal, and it's like no, you spent seven months trying to you know studying the the pets in the shelter to pick the one that you specifically wanted. What you guys are doing is actually rescuing animals and all of them that you can. So I think that's really cool. Um, and I, I certainly love the idea that you're combining with Naga Notes to spread the idea that 
adopting some of these pets absolutely elevates your psychological health. Uh, it, I mean, we've got studies and research galore that show that. And, you know, pet ownership in and of itself places responsibility and accountability on people. And it certainly is heartwarming. And um, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm, taken aback thank you very much for doing this thanks for giving me the opportunity and uh for both of you i guess happy uh to seven hour belated birthday to lauren and happy what when one week uh belated birthday to tina oh yeah thanks close (laughs) yeah happy birthdays all around and thank you for for doing this um any uh it's always awkward. It was like any last words, like, like we're going to the gas chamber or something. <laughs> you guys have anything else to say to the to the audience before we wrap up? Um, the only thing that, that I could quickly think of is that because there are also a lot of uh, street animals still in the U.S. and people get abandoned a lot. So um, definitely yes, don't don't just walk away. If you see an animal that needs help, try to help. You don't, just because you find it, it doesn't mean you have to keep it. We get this argument a lot, like, oh, hi, I found a kitten. I can't keep it. Can you take it? But, you know, like, take that responsibility, take it to a vet, keep it for a month to get it healthy, and then there are still other, you can still find a solution for it after. But don't just walk past by and, and leave it just because you feel like I don't have time for the next 15 years to take care of this animal that is lying on the street with a broken leg. That's a great invitation. I love that. It, it's, it doesn't have to be permanent. It could be almost like a you know, temporary fostering arrangement uh, just until somebody else can, can take it off your hands. That's, that's really cool. Thank you for that. Thank Lauren? you. Um, just thanks very much for having us on. And uh, also, if anybody is listening in Southeast Asia, or more specifically in Phnom Penh, we do have donation boxes and also some small items that you can buy, and all of the proceeds go to Animal Rescue Cambodia in the reception area of the SL Veterinary Clinic. I did forget to mention that, and I, th- I believe some of them have Noggin Notes uh, logos on them, maybe, or exactly. not. Exactly. That is absolutely true. We just got in some new doggy water bowls, which I think is uh, particularly important for beating the heat. We're just coming into the hot season over here. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know, too. Thank you. Well, thank you both, and on behalf of the you know the whole Noggin Notes crew and uh, certainly the Zephyr Wellness team that didn't know this was coming, but uh, it, it happened anyway, and uh, on behalf of Animal Rescue and VSL Veterinary, thank you, listening audience, for joining us. If you want to donate, go to ar-cambodia.com and click on the donate page. And, um, you know, if you want to learn more about this, you can email them or you can email us, info at nogginnotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org. Thank you both. Uh, appreciate the work that you do. Uh, it's really God's work, and uh, you're, you're doing it. So thanks for doing it, and thanks for being here. And I wish you both a wonderful day and an excellent rest of your week. Thank you so much. Thanks very much for having us on. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Take care. And for everybody, I'm Jake Wiskirchen. Bye-bye.